Hello, and welcome to the Jubilee Church Podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Do you remember cassette tapes? I don't remember them well, but I do remember running to the radio when my favorite song would come on and trying to start this recorder and catch the majority of my favorite song. Um, There was a time when we were all doing this, uh, at least those of us who can remember it. Uh, I remember later in life learning to rip an MP3, how to pull a song off of a CD and then start to arrange those songs for this purpose, to build my own playlist. This is right There was a time back when we weren't all drunk on the instant gratification of a digital playlist. And you had to put in actual work to get a song and to arrange the songs in a particular order on some medium so that you could keep listening to your uh, creation over and over again. This is the great thing about a mixtape or a mixed CD, if you will. Uh, it was an opportunity to craft something, uh, to, to put yourself into this creation, and then to be able to enjoy it over and over again. And if you were one of the lucky few who received one of my mixtapes, or if you had ever received a mixtape, you know that the person who was giving it to you wasn't just giving you a random assortment of songs. They were actually giving you a piece of themselves. They were communicating something about themselves, what they like, what they love, what they enjoy, and they were passing it along to you. What a great gift. Well, we've been in the book of Psalms for uh, the majority of the summer, the last seven weeks, and I want you to know something today. The Psalms are like God's mixtape, his opportunity to put together something artful, something uh, personal, something moving, and then deliver it to us. These This collection of psalms, these songs that were Israel's uh, worship hymnal, if you will, uh, have been preserved for us today for 3,000 years so that we could uh, receive something from God, something personal, something communicating his emotional life to us. We're so thankful for the opportunity uh, to be in God's word together and to uh, celebrate this God who loves to communicate with us. Today, I'm going to look at Psalm 145, one of my absolute favorite psalms. But I want to approach it just a little bit differently. I want to do two things today. Uh, The first is this. I want to try to connect with the artistry of Psalm 145. You know, Psalm 145 is a, um, what we call an an alphabetical psalm. It is in the original Hebrew, an alphabetic acrostic where each line of the psalm begins with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So I've taken the liberty of rewriting Psalm 145 in English to reflect that. The English translations don't capture that artistic maneuver, but I've tried to do that for you today. Now, Don't worry, I know that I'm not a better translator than the professionals, and I know that I'm not a better artist than uh, the most of the poets out there, certainly not the uh, King David who wrote Psalm 145, but I do think that this will help us to see uh, a little bit more of the artistry behind the psalm. The second thing that I wanna do today is I wanna approach Psalm 145 uh, looking at its five major themes, and I want us to consider what would it look like to live out Psalm 145? What would it look like to make each of these five themes uh, an important part of our daily life as followers of Jesus? Um, 
there is this idea of spiritual disciplines. It might sound foreign, it might sound uh, robotic or uh, too rigid, but the idea of a spiritual discipline is it's simply a, a spiritual practice, something that we do regularly that builds into us, that trains us, that um, uh, produces fruit in our lives. And sometimes, you know, like discipline, it can be hard, uh, but these disciplines are meant to uh, be an investment in our spiritual well-being. And God has given us many forms of grace like that. And so I want to look at five possible or potential spiritual disciplines we can draw out of Psalm 145 to help us as we walk together with Jesus. So first, let's start the beginning of the psalm. The first theme in this psalm is prophetic praise. Verses one through three uh, read like this in, in my uh, English alphabetical acrostic. Above all else, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Bless the Lord will be my refrain every day with praise to your name forever and ever. Can anyone exhaust his greatness? No, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. In verses one through three, we see the psalmist pledging to praise God every day and in every circumstance. But how can David honestly claim that he will praise God every day? I mean, was he praising God when his son Absalom attempted to usurp the throne, threatening his life and driving him out of his own castle? What do these verses really mean for us? Are, are they simply empty promises uh, or is it really possible to honestly praise God in every circumstance? I believe that it is. In fact, I believe this is the epitome of what it means to live by faith and not by sight. This is an important biblical concept. It is easy to, to live our lives day to day, in and out, most strongly influenced by our senses what we can see, what we can taste, what we can hear, what we feel. Uh, these things are proximate to us. They are in our face. They are driving our emotions and often tossing us to and fro. Uh, the challenge though is to rise above the storm. I mean, to the very belief in a God that we cannot see forces the question, can we look beyond what is in our face, what is material, what we can touch and taste and feel? And can we live based on something that is invisible? Well, we can. We can choose like David to look beyond those things and to tap into grace flowing from God into a power for living that he offers us. And it comes through praise. I mean, who doesn't want to live above the fray, to live above the tumultuous roller coaster of the emotions that our daily life can bring us? So how do we do this? Look, if you plan to just kind of wait and see what life throws at you and choose to be optimistic in the face of trials, well, <laughs> good luck to you. But if instead, like David, you begin your day by reflecting on God, by choosing to praise him, to speak forth his goodness, to stir yourself up, then you can fill yourself with an emotional reservoir of uh, joy, of peace, and of hope with confidence for the day before the challenges come. Like a good night's rest before the big presentation, we need to carry with us the thoughts of God's greatness close at hand. This, I know in my life, this has provided me with an emotional resilience that I can draw from throughout the day to counteract and cushion myself against the disappointments that 
each day inevitably will bring. Make no mistake, challenges will come. But the question is, is my heart prepared for them? I'm so thankful that God provides us with this endless reservoir of faith, hope, and love from which we can draw each day. When we start today with praise, we are declaring God's greatness, but not just sort of generally. There's a sense in which we are prophetically declaring that his grace is enough and that it will be enough for me today and enough for us every day. So prophetic praise. Second, discipleship. Verses four through seven read like this. Declaring your mighty acts, one generation shall commend your works to another. Every aspect of your glorious splendor and majesty captivates my mind. On your wondrous works, I will meditate. Faithfully, they shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. Gladly, they shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. What do we mean by discipleship? Discipleship is simply the process by which a follower of Jesus becomes a fully devoted follower. It's a process of giving our our whole lives, our entire selves to Jesus and his work and his kingdom. And David reveals that praise is central to this. Verses four through seven show us a variety of ways that David envisions praise being used. First, praise is for the next generation. One generation shall commend your works to another. This theme is repeated throughout the Psalms. We saw it when David Harrington preached to us in Psalm 78. And here the picture is of a generation of fervent and faithful followers of God, sharing their testimony of God's faithfulness in their lives to the next upcoming generation. Maybe you've heard the quote, the church is never more than one generation away from extinction. Each living generation must consider how we are working to invest in the next How are we encouraging them? How are we empowering them to experience God's grace for themselves? Faith is not hereditary. It must be experienced by the next generation. They must own it and grasp it and and incorporate it into their lives. That is a flame. Faith is a flame that must be reignited with each successive generation. But David goes on. He says, on your wondrous works, I will meditate. Here, the emphasis is not on the benefit of speaking God's goodness to others, but speaking it to ourselves. David understands the value of of telling himself over and over again, reminding himself about God's goodness. David is keenly aware of this risk, a, a risk of telling others to be passionate about God, but failing to connect with God or, or missing out on God himself. Then in verses six and seven, they describe many others joining in and recounting God's power on display. You know, in my old church, back when I lived in New Haven, Connecticut, we used to have a time of uh, spontaneous praise or uh, testimonies to, uh, on select Sunday mornings. And so uh, you would have the benefit of hearing from uh, young folks talking about uh, things that God was doing for them on the campus. Uh, but the best was when uh, a little old beautiful woman uh, named Frances. She must have been in her late 70s. She would stand up and she would talk about how her Jesus had been so faithful to her, how he had never let her down, how he was always trustworthy and had filled her life with joy and meaning. 
Those were precious faith-building experiences. I'll tell you, as a young person, to hear from those who had gone before, uh, to hear from the, the gray beards and the gray hairs of the community, how God had been faithful to them, uh, really planted seeds of faith inside of me. Um, this public confession of God's goodness is a powerful way to carry out the mission of the church. As Peter, the apostle says, you are a chosen race, a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. To fulfill this theme, this theme of praise as discipleship, we could pledge to tell just one person every day about the goodness of God. I'll tell you, I tried this the other day. I was having my blood drawn and the phlebotomist asked me how I was doing and uh, I felt a little out of character, but I took a step of faith and I said, you know, I'm blessed. I started today reflecting on God's goodness and faithfulness and I know it's gonna be a great day. That's all I said, simple. I'll tell you though, I not only said it, but I believed it. And I not only believed it, but somehow by saying it out loud, by giving voice to praise, uh, I felt it. Uh, the Spirit made my assurance in God's faithfulness more real to me as I chose to speak it uh, to this young man. And, and honestly, it was great because he responded with a similar statement about uh, God and faith. And uh, we had a, a praise chorus, a, a moment of uh, shared worship in our Lord. Third, we should bask in forgiveness. Verses eight and nine read this way. How gracious and merciful is this God, the Holy One of Israel, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Indisputably, the Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all he has made. Next, David turns to God's character. He is, no doubt, encouraged by the memory of God as a gracious, merciful, and loving God. The emphasis here is on God's love, on his forgiveness, on his mercy. And we heard about that in Psalm 51 just last week. We need specific reminders of God's faithfulness, of God's love, of God's mercy, just like David did. Why? Well, we are undoubtedly confronted by our failings every day. I mean, whether these are moral failings or performance shortcomings, it is easy to be haunted by the thought, I'm not good enough. I'll never be accepted. I'll never get it right. Oh, that's not your burden? Are you eternally confident? Well, I'll tell you, I know in my life that I have been haunted by these fears of not adding up, not measuring up. And I think that if we all dig deeper, if we all dig deep enough, we will all find that at some place we are motivated by this. Whether we are an overachiever, constantly showing our strengths or we are someone who shrieks back and hides in the corner. The overachiever probably, and in many instances, is a person who is trying to cover up their shortcomings, cover up their weaknesses with performance. And the person who shrieks back, well, they know that their sin is always before them, like David writes in Psalm 51. They, they know that they uh, have weaknesses and, and, and brokenness and they're afraid of it uh, being exposed or being pointed out. But for both of these people, this psalm brings grace. It pours grace onto our wound, our wound of uh, uh, self 
consciousness and our, our wound of uh, falling short and it, it, it pulls us up out of that pit. God says to us, my mercy will cover you. My love is abounding. I'm, I am slow to anger. And he invites us in. The great news is that God's forgiveness is real. It's a welcome relief from the fear of not measuring up. The apostle John wrote, perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with punishment. For the person who is haunted by their moral failings, the forgiveness of God is like a sunshine melting away the ice of winter, bringing them in from their exile in a wintry wasteland, allowing them to be warmed and comforted. For the person who is frantically trying to hide their weakness, afraid of being discovered, the mercy of God is like a yoke, being broken, lifted off of the shoulders to give them rest. For both groups, the statement, God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, becomes fresh life to them. Life rushing through their veins like, like a man revived from death. So how can we tap into this? How can we put this spiritual discipline, basking in God's forgiveness, into practice on a daily basis? Have you ever heard the Jesus prayer? It's very simple. It goes like this. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. This prayer has its origins in the fourth century. That means that faithful Christians have been praying this prayer for 1,600 years. Anything with that kind of staying power should be valuable to us. Modeled after the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke chapter 18, where the Pharisee prays, God, I'm thankful that I'm not like other men. And he boasts about his greatness, uh, his accomplishments, like the person who is secretly, inwardly self uh, uh, insecure, um, but hiding it. And then the tax collector beats his breast, not even looking up to heaven, but says, Lord, have mercy on me for I am a sinner. And the tax collector is justified before God. This prayer can help us. It's short. You can say it under your breath uh, in, in the heat of the moment when you feel your anger rising, or you can uh, steal away to your prayer closet and you can meditatively repeat it as you allow your thoughts to to flow through all the ways that God's mercy and grace reaches you. However you use it, employ this, learn it, memorize it, carry it with you. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Fourth, a praise party. Verses 10 <clears throat> starts here. Joyfully, all your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. Kingdom glory is on their lips to speak and tell of your power, listing for the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Majestic is your everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. Have you noticed the pattern yet? Every time that David expounds on God's character, he breaks into a praise chorus. After reflecting on God's forgiveness and mercy in verses 8 and 9, he, he gives us verses 10 through 13. All God's works shall give him thanks. His creation tells of his power, recounting his deeds. In David's mind, the only rightful response to a revelation of God, 
to his nature and his character is worship. This time, David's emphasis, though, is on corporate worship, worship from the faithful. Whereas the worship in verses four through seven uh, envisioned sort of the older generation speaking to the younger generation, sharing their, uh, their experiences of God's faithfulness and, and drawing the young ones up to disciple them. This is a shared uh, reveling in God's goodness. God's praise echoing back and forth among uh, n- numbers of faithful people. This is kingdom talk among God's saints. So forth, each day we should seek to be encouraged by God's kingdom people. We all need community. Henry Cloud and John Townsend in their landmark book, How People Grow, they bring into sharp focus a common misconception. Many Christians recognize that we, we need God's help to help us grow, and, and we emphasize things like prayer and uh, a Bible study. But we underestimate our need for other people, our need for other people to help us grow. God made us relational beings, and in, it's in the context of deep relationships where vulnerability and trust are fostered. Deep relationships with other faithful disciples of Jesus that we can not only learn God's truth, but experience God's truth. I need you to remind me, yes, of the words of God, but even more so, I need you to remind me, to show me the heart of God. I need your encouragement, your admonition, your acts of service, your unconditional love. God can and does dispense these things supernaturally through the Holy Spirit, but he loves to do it through his people. He delights to use us to extend a hand of comfort. We truly are the body of Christ. His primary means of working in the world and affecting the world and changing the world, of being present in the world. So how can we maximize our growth through relationships? Well, first, you can connect to a community group. But don't just show up here and there sporadically. Really commit to the group. Be involved. Be connected. Make an investment. That's how we get to know you and you get to know us. And we can begin to develop relationships. Relationships are, once again, a context for spiritual growth. But next, go deeper. Go deeper with a select few. You can't share your deepest heartaches with every person. And you shouldn't but find a few, one or two trusted, faithful, reliable believers, followers of Jesus, and open your life to them. Let them speak into your life and you can speak into theirs. And together you can walk this road with Jesus, growing deeper in your relationship with each other and with him. And lastly, in your relationships, in the ones that you have, speak often of God and his goodness, It's common even amongst Christians that when we get together that we allow our conversation to only scratch the surface or only be filled with the the temporal and worldly concerns that everyone else has, whether that's sports or entertainment or the news, maybe politics. These things are fine. They're important, but they don't get to the essence of what makes our life meaningful. It is God's goodness that carries us through. Now, that doesn't mean that we should scare off outsiders or or people who aren't yet believers with our Christianese and our our, um, holier-than-thou speech. No, what I mean is when we are together, let's talk about the things that really matter. Let's be like the people envisioned in this psalm who are speaking forth the goodness of God, the works of God, and giving him glory. 
together. Finally, our fifth spiritual practice, fifth spiritual discipline is an attitude of gratitude. The end of the Psalm goes this way. Never doubt that the Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. Omnipotent, the Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. Perfectly timed, you give sustaining blessings in due season. Quicken your hand, O Lord. When you open it, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. Righteous in all his ways, the Lord is kind in all his works. Steadfast compassion is available to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. Those who fear the Lord are fulfilled. He hears their cry and saves them. Undoing will come upon the wicked, but the Lord preserves all who love him. This part of the psalm is really broken into two parts. Verses 13 through 16, David praises God for common grace. God's blessings are truly available to all. But then in verse 17, he shifts to reflect on God's elect grace, special blessings reserved for those who have called on Jesus. For the believer, it's amazing that we have so much that we can praise God for, so much for which to be thankful. Yes, God, the creator, has provided us. He's provided us with a wonderful planet. Have you considered the fact that the earth is 95 million miles away from the sun, yet the sun provides the earth all of the energy and the heat and the warmth that it needs to sustain life? Or if you were to tilt the earth on its axis just a few degrees, that you would make the summers blazingly hot and the winters frigidly cold and life would be no more? Have you considered the way that plants regenerate the very oxygen that we need to breathe so we can keep the cycle of life going on the earth? Reverse combustion happening in your lawn or in the woods behind your house. But beyond that, Jesus, the Jesus follower has so much to be thankful for. Forgiveness from sin, adoption into God's family, a promise of eternal acceptance, the indwelling presence of God's spirit, with us at all times, a partaker of the divine nature. (laughs) Steadfast compassion is available to all who call on him. Those who fear the Lord are fulfilled because the Lord hears their cry and he saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him. Thanksgiving is the air we breathe as Christians. We must never stray far from this practice because it reorients us in our creature-creator relationship. This practice can paradoxically be easy and hard. It's easy because Thanksgiving is not something we feel, it's something we do, so we can choose to do it, but we often don't do it until we feel it, which is why the psalm is so helpful, because it reminds us of God. It reminds us of what he's done. It reminds us of his character, and it leads us into Thanksgiving. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote in his book, Spiritual Depression, Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? That take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. They bring back the problem of yesterday. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. The point that he's making here is that we are listening to ourselves and then talking to God. God, here are my problems. Here are my challenges. Here is the shortcoming in my life. Rather, we should be listening to God and talking to ourselves. 
Lord, you told me that you are faithful. You told me that you will always care for me. You told me that my sin has been removed from me as far as the east is from the west. Self, live in that. Self, believe that. Self, cling to that in the face of these challenges. When we listen to God, we edify our souls and we encourage ourselves. We realize, in fact, we remember that the blessings of God are pressed down, shaken together and running over. So there you have it. Five things that can help you to live out Psalm 145. Five spiritual practices that can unlock the psalmist's vibrant faith so that you can partake of it and experience it in your life. Number one, prophetic praise. Number two, vocal discipleship. Number three, basking in forgiveness. Number four, a praise party. And number five, an attitude of gratitude. I pray that you don't feel burdened now that I've given you this list. It's not meant to be a to-do list, but instead it is a list of God's blessing, God's mercy, a a gracious invitation into relationship with five on-ramps so that you can connect with our gracious Lord. We can be thankful today that our gracious Father has given us uh, a wide variety of ways to come to his throne of grace boldly today and every day.